0: 2021 been all about? What have they all been pointing to? Oh, yes, there we go. Yes, yes. I heard a couple people say Jesus. Amen. That's a good answer. It's a good answer. And I, I think I probably say maybe a little too much, but if you haven't noticed what we talk about on Sunday mornings, build on one another. That's been the intention. And 2021 has been a, a good, a good year of really building, and, and, and not really even building, but kind of getting back to the core of our discipleship. Yes. yes. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> um, this year's been—we've had an intense focus on discipleship. I mean, to start the year off, we talked about to live is Christ. Remember when J- January 2021? I know that seems like three years ago, right? Because discipleship, if you think about it, in the pandemic, and I know some people are tired of hearing about it, but in the pandemic, when things were at its worst, and, and you know we, we couldn't gather together in the same ways, right? And we had to be creative. It's interesting how things all kind of boil down to what were we left with? <laughs> what was our bare bones as a church community? It was our discipleship. When we peel these other things, whether it's the ministry events or the gatherings or all these other things away, what are we left with? It was our discipleship. And I don't know about you, that was a vulnerable place for me. I'm like, oh, wait a second. I really have to be a, (laughs) I have to live like a disciple? I can't hide behind these things? And I felt challenged. I hope you guys felt that same challenge as well. And we're still going to be talking about that challenge throughout this series. Amen. But we're not going to be looking, just blasting ourselves in the mirror. We're looking at God. We're looking at Jesus and how he restored the world. Amen? Okay, hopefully I haven't lost you guys. We good? good. This series is called Restoring the World. We're going through the Gospel of Luke, two chapters at a time, okay? In which you're like, that's not bad to Luke chapter one. that's like 80 verses long. And you're like, oh, it's not all like that. But we're going two chapters at a time, and we're looking at how Jesus was restoring the world and how God was doing that through him, through his son. What an incredible thing for us to be talking about being on mission, to living like Christ, right? To inviting people to live out the gospel. And instead of us getting together like, okay, cool, let's talk about how, how, how do we want to do that, how we're going to rec- recreate the wheel. No, 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 no. We're looking at Jesus, and we're going to imitate him. Amen. Amen. So that's what this, this, as we go through Luke, that is our focus. We're looking at how Jesus restores the world. As we do this, we want to understand Jesus and his teachings, and his time and context so that we can learn how to live them out in our time and context. I think history shows that we can't, copy paste doesn't always work. As much as us digital natives like that. Yeah? Okay. Hopefully I'm not isolating anybody in the audience by saying digital natives. (laughs) But we have to understand what was Jesus saying in his time and place in order for us to authentically live that out. Amen? Amen. Let's get to it. I can tell you guys want to get to it. Let's get to it. Um, I, I was wanting to spend a little bit of time about some of the basic context of Luke, but we gave out resources, a resource page, where you can learn some of that. And it's very accessible stuff. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, there should be papers on the entrance table and also an electronic handout sent to your small group. So check that out. There's a lot I really want to say right now, because it's super I love it. But I'm dying to myself. Let's, let's get into the message. <laughs> that Monday night group is in for it, let me tell you. <laughs> All right. We're going to be looking at what I say, Luke chapters 1 and 2. We're really going to be sitting on Luke chapter 1. There's a theme throughout these first couple chapters that's incredibly significant that we cannot pass up. Have you ever felt unusable in your life? Have you ever felt like I'm just, I'm worthless? can't do anything right. I have no value to the people around me. Oh, seriously, though, yeah. yeah. This is a real thing that I, I, I want to say every person struggles with on some yeah. level. Some more than most, but I think everybody does. That's what we're going to talk about. The title of the message is unusable, question mark. Unusable? Unusable, question mark. Hold on to that. In, in, in the, the question I want to frame us around this morning is why does God like to work through the lowly. Why does God like to work through people that society considers unusable? Because he's a nice guy. Want to make you feel a little better? Let's dig deep into this this morning. And I think we're we're seeing some things here in the first couple chapters of Luke. You know, God sent Jesus by using people who were considered unusable in their society. Even in the manner that Jesus enters the world in which he's born, God chooses to reveal himself through ways that just disrupt the status quo and it exalts the humble. Jesus, if you don't remember anything else, remember this this morning. Jesus is restoring the world by using the unusable to reveal God's glory. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. You know, I, I want my messages to be like a good Jan Sport backpack. they got two handles on them. All right, two handles. You, you want the two handles? Yeah. All right, here's the first handle. The unusable reveal God's glory. The unusable reveal God's glory. Let's go to Luke. Chapter 1. And what we're going to do here... It's we're gonna, I'm going to kind of piece some things. I'm going to weave some things together. So we might skip some verses in some places, and that's okay. We'll go back to some, okay? But let's start in, in verse 5 here. This is the birth of John. Uh, the birth of John is being foretold. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there is a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Why would they have to go out of their way to say that? Oh, because of this next line here. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. And they were both very old. Can you think of other situations in the Bible where there's just a couple and... The woman was supposed to be barren, and they were just so, so old. And God was like, I could work through that. Hmm. Do you, do you think Luke is calling back to something? Yeah? String pearls, hyperlinking. There's a lot of things we can say. Yes? Yeah. Yeah. Cool, huh? All right. And, and so that, that's the birth of John being foretold. Let's go to verse 24. Um, what happens basically in, in here, and we'll come back to this, is Zechariah has an uh, interaction with Gabriel, an angel from God, a messenger from God. And we'll talk about this more in a little bit. but here in after, after that interaction happens, says, when his time of service was completed, he returned home, and after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me," she said. and these days, he has shown his favor and taken my disgrace among the people. Years might say other things like reproach or some other words from among the people. Let's break this down just a little bit here. They had no child. What did that mean for them? Given what you guys know, for a woman to be barren or unable to conceive, especially in this time period, what does that mean? How does society interpret that? Can you say that louder, Barb? What's your purpose? Yeah, I heard a couple other things too. Not, not blessed. Maybe they are sinners. Luke goes out of his way to say it, they weren't sinners. I think that's why he goes out of his way to say that. Because the idea is, is if you had some disease or condition or whatever, it's because somehow you displeased God or you were a sinner. Now, do we get that idea from God or God's character anywhere in Scripture? No, no but humans doing what humans do best—like to twist things up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, don't we do the same? Yeah. Well, this person's in that position because they're so, yeah. yeah. We get a little too judgy, right? Right. Yeah. But but what did that mean for them? It, 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 that must have meant the community thought there was something wrong with Elizabeth. They were sinners. There's something wrong there. That they, they, that, that her job as an ancient Near Eastern woman was to bear children. And if you can't do that, then, then what's your, you have no purpose. And this is also in a time period where there's very few people, a lot of, of the Jewish people this time had really stopped or not really believed in a physical resurrection, right? So their legacy was passed on through Children. Okay, yes. Both were advanced in years. Zechariah is a priest, and yet his wife is barren. Must be a little bit of an uncomfortable job around the, uh, around the water cooler at the temple. <laughs> They're like, so, Elizabeth, just not going to happen, huh? That's probably a little bit too uh, colloquial. (laughs) But I think you... But if you've been there, you know the pain. (laughs) If you've been there, you know the pain. You know the stuff people say. They're like, oh, yeah. You know? There's clearly something that was going on to where Elizabeth and probably, by extension, her husband felt... Usable, useless to their community, to their society. You've taken my disgrace away from my people. That's what she says. Okay, so let's hold on to this. Let's go to Luke 1. You're still there, yeah? Verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's, pre- uh, Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And this virgin's name was Mary. Also want to read here further down, it reminds us after Mary has her own conversation with Gabriel, and she has her own uh, moment of thanksgiving. In verse 56, the, the text tells us Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months. And then returned home. You know, um, what does that mean? You know, people writers in the Bible don't just write places down just because they're big geography nerds. They're like, oh yeah, yeah, this is, it's, it's, it's communicating something. The the Galilean region, it's kind of like uh, backwoods, kind of not as sophisticated, right? Like you got. I, I, do you get what I'm saying? Well, that's not what I was trying to say. That's not what I'm. That's not what I'm trying to say. But maybe the region's known for a lack of sophistication. It has that reputation, a lack of prominence, even to a point where they're like uh, insulting their accents. Right? They're like, "Oh, you're a Galilean. I could tell." It's like, "What do you mean?" Main with her. About three months. Something's going on in Mary's town in Nazareth to to, to a point where she would want to leave and be gone, and be gone. I skipped something here that's important. We're talking about how society viewed Elizabeth and Mary as unusable. How could Elizabeth bear a child? How can Mary, hold on a second, who is Mary? Mary... Most likely in the situation, if you're marrying, if typically the, the, the uh, family of the bride wants to marry up in these societies to kind of, right, and it's always to benefit the family. So if your move up is to marry someone that's in construction, which is what Joseph did, and this isn't any disrespect, but do you feel me? Okay? Or do you feel me on that? Okay, the point is here. Mary is poor. Her family is poor. She's probably 13 or 14 years old in this betrothal. Yes? Yes? What value is she bringing to her community? Not a whole lot. In this time, in this context. She's about as close as you could get as a young female in this society as a nobody. No voice. Are you with me? Yes. Why does God pick her? If you want your message to get out there, you've got to pick somebody else, right? right? That's not how God works. Right. Yeah. So she goes with Elizabeth and spends time with Elizabeth. Why? Why? What do you think is probably going on in her hometown as she becomes pregnant and starts to reveal her pregnancy? You can't really hide that stuff in a small town, no matter how far along you are. What's going to happen in the community? S- with me? Yes. Gossip? Yeah. I can't, I, can't, I can't even fathom what that must feel like. Even if we, if we go to, to Luke 2, as we read, the birth of Jesus. I think I can reference this because we've all watched Charlie Brown several times. Jesus was, where was he laid? In a manger. Because there was You guys did a great job at your Christmas pageants when you were young. (laughs) Congratulations, yes. Yeah, yeah, and there's a lot of cool stuff happening with that why that's happening, but you know what that screams? This family is nothing. Their kid has to be out with the animals. Who are these people? What use are they to their society? In his family's hometown, they don't even have room for him and his wife Why is that? Is there literally no space? Do they not want them there because of the rumors? What's going on here? What we do know is that their society doesn't view them in a good way. Elizabeth and Mary are considered unusable by their community. They were in these positions due to no choice of their own. Have you been there? Where you've been in a place like that? And you have this feeling of, I just have no value. And that's not because of anything you've done. And yet they suffer the consequences. The very places where society sees you as useless, God sees you as useful. And that's a major theme I hope that we can hold on to this morning. The very places where society sees you as useless, God sees you as useful. Why does God want to work through the unusable? You know, and we're going to read this at the end of the message today. Like I said, we're hopscotching around a little bit. But after Mary hears the news about she's going to bear <laughs> the Messiah, she gives a song. And in, in the first part of the song is uh, in verse 46 of Luke 1. my soul, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for He's been mindful of the humble state of His servant. Why does God choose to work through the unusable? Because they magnify His glory. Mm -hmm. They are clean mirrors. Remember when Randy came back and and he did the the mirror thing? Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. They got less junk on their mirrors. (laughs) Doesn't mean they don't have heart or pain or all these other things, right? You reflect back to God. Humanity often deems unusable with meaning you don't have value. Value in society, and really this is human history. I'm not just picking on us, but human history. Value in your society really has to do with how much you can produce and contribute. It's universal. Look it up. (laughs) Look it up. That's humanity for you. Value is equated with how much you can produce. You know, Elizabeth and Mary couldn't produce much as their role in women in their time and place. Right? Right? There's something about our own production that leads us away from God. Let's take a... Let's, let's time travel back in Scripture, shall we? Can you go with me to Deuteronomy 8? Yep. This is about our own production that leads us away from God. And this is not new. Not a new idea. This is an old, ancient idea. God's been saying it from the start. <clears throat> okay, warning. This is one of those passages in the Bible where I can't just read a couple verses. Okay. All right. This is, and yes, this is God speaking to his people, the, the Israelites, uh, who had, had just not too long ago come out of Egypt, been delivered. And um, as, 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 we're not in their shoes, but I think there's some principles we can pick up on here. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today, so that you may live in an increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised an oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led led all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order that you may know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man, oh, this sounds like Jesus, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes you did not wear out. Your clothes did not wear out. Your feet did not swell during those 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good Land. A land with brooks, streams and deep uh, springs gushing out of the valleys and hills. A land where wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates and olive oil. And this is the good stuff, okay? This is the good stuff, right? They're, they're drooling at this point as they're listening. They're like, oh yeah, that's good. And honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and you're satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, And when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud. And you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When he led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions, he brought you water out of a rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors have never known, to humble and test you, so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. I'll stop there. You get it? You hear it? This isn't new. You know, the thing about us humans, we are made in the image of God to create, to innovate, to build. But where we get wrong is that we don't know when to stop. What did God do on the seventh day? What is he telling his people to do? Stop. What do they, they on the earth build the tower of? Abel. God destroys it because he's mean, kicking over the Lego blocks. <laughs> Look, create good, not knowing when to stop, bad. Are you with me? Yep. Are you hearing this message? When the usable... I'm sorry, when the unusable are somehow able to produce, it turns heads. Wait a second, you're not supposed to be able to be useful. You're not bringing value. How are you doing that? How'd you do that? It can only turn the glory to something greater, to God. If Elizabeth, like, since we're in the Old Testament, so if, like, Sarah and Hannah, if, if, if if Elizabeth wasn't barren, how else could it be clear that John is sent from God? If Mary hadn't, um, to use a euphemism of the Hebrew Bible, if if Mary hadn't known Joseph yet, right, how else could it be clear that the line of Adam has finally been broken? The problems, y'all, the problems that come down from the line of Adam and just build and build and build. And we talked about Lamech. I know we did. We talked about that. It's bad. It's finally broken. That's what this is pointing to. If Jesus wasn't born and laid in a manger amongst animals, how else could it be known that he was the new Adam? Why? Why? This is an unfortunate event. He's around animals. No, he's around animals. He's like Adam, a new one. Are you listening? Are you seeing how God takes these things and he turns it upside down? God works through and with the lowly and the humble to reveal himself in undeniable ways. If 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 and God does, I'm confident that God works through everyone, but it's really easy to claim the glory when you got the goods. It's hard to claim the glory when you don't got the goods. (laughs) Same, right? Look, listen, I hope you're listening to this. Some of us need to hear this, all of us. It doesn't matter who you are. God wants to partner with you. It doesn't matter what you've done, what you've said, what you haven't said. God wants to partner with you. He doesn't want you to stay in the same place where you're at, but he doesn't care where you're at. He wants you. It's interesting that in this, you'll find that these people that are lowly are exalted. Scripture, that's a theme in the Bible, isn't it? The humble are exalted. You'll find that your deepest needs and desires are going to be filled by him. All you got to do is trust in him. That leads us to the second handle. Okay, so the first handle was the unusable reveal God's glory, and they trust in his story. They trust in his story. Let's uh, a time travel back to Luke, yes? Luke 1. And uh, what we're going to look at now to talk, to look at this idea of trust, is we're going to look at how Zechariah interacts with Gabriel and then how Mary responds to Gabriel here. All right. It's about trusting in God's story. All right, Luke 1, starting in verse 8. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. When the time for the burning of incense came, all of the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was start- gripped with fear. The angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. You are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you. Many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, even before he's born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, Zechariah, he's a priest. He knows his Torah. He knows the Bible. He's going to say, yes, sir. Angel, sir. <laughs> Zechariah asked, asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. That sounds familiar. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you didn't believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Okay, Zechariah. Zechariah. Not what we expected from you, right? You're a priest, man. Get it together. Let's look at what happens with Mary. All right. Let's go to verse uh, uh, 28 here. The angel went to her, to Mary, and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord's with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Yeah, uh, same, right? Right? understatement, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdoms will never end. And then her reply, how is this going to happen? How will this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born, will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her age, and she, said, or she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. So for no, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And the angel left her. Zechariah, come on, man. The grown man, the priest, this is your job to trust in God. <laughs> but what does he do? He doubts. He doubts. The one who should have trusted is the doubter. And then Mary, the, the, the kid, the young woman, the nobody in her society, the one who probably, if there was any right to doubt, it would have been her, right? right? She trusts in God's story. She did not say, "Give me a sign." She's like, "Okay, how's this? How does this going to work, though?" Because, right? That's her response. The one you it, it, it shouldn't be a surprise—that the one with a position and status in society, Zechariah, is the one who is yes, less used to King of God. Let me say that again. It shouldn't be a surprise that the person who is used to, to working with their own hands and providing with their own hands to be less acquainted with the work of God. Doesn't Deuteronomy 8 tell us that? Yes? He trusted his own story more than God's. He hesitated. He doubted. What matters most to God is not your position in society. It's the position of your heart. Do you trust him, really. What gets in the way of you trusting in God's story? You know, i got to share a little bit. Um, there's been a lot going on the past couple of weeks in my personal life, my family, and... My coping mechanism for hard things in life is to do it myself. Let me write a list. Let me call a bunch of people. Let me do all these things. Let me scheme. I work and work. And in my mind, when my body is not working, my mind is working and rolling and rolling. And this is not a happy kind of like, this is like anxious work, toil. Have you been there? Stressing in the process. Stressing in the process. Uh, Some of you guys know I don't have the best health. My body is screaming at me. I'm getting lightheaded while driving. I've got this eyelid twitch thing. I don't know why. I'm having flare-ups because I have this autoimmune thing. My body is screaming at me, dude, you're stressed. Stop. (laughs) I'm pushing and grinding and trying to do it anyways. I'm not, it's not until I get to this point where I get sick and I have to basically lay in bed where I can finally start to think, why am I doing this? Why am I putting so much trust in myself and what I can do? Don't I know that God has had this handled before I was ever around? And even if I'm not around anymore, God's still going to have it. The boat floats whether I'm on it or not, right? Right? And sometimes it feels like I'm on God's boat and I'm paddling the wrong direction. Yeah. No wonder I'm so tired. I, I, I'm getting to this point in my life where I'm, it's, it's weird to say I'm, I'm kind of thanking God in a weird way for what my body is like. Because if I wasn't forced to stop, I don't know if I would be a disciple. <laughs> I don't know if I could trust in God's story because my flesh, my drive to want to build my own story and trust in myself and force things to happen is incredibly strong. I'm just being honest. It's hard. And I thank God that he finds ways to stop me. I think maybe you've experienced that too. It's not always happy things that stop us either. Like the crashing down of a tower. <clears throat> Anybody like to listen to podcasts? I've never heard of it. <laughs> Imagine trying to listen to a podcast and then record your own podcast at the same time. How is that going to work? I, 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 I love, I, you know, I'm a teacher. I used to, this is my, my speech where I'd turn the chair around I'm like, let me level with you guys. Let me give you some tips on how you're going to be successful. I'm like, stop listening to music when you read your homework. I'm going to talk to you guys. Stop doing it. If you listen to music, listen to instrumental music only. Nothing with lyrics. They've done studies that show your brain cannot input language through your ears and then different language through your eyes at the same time. So either you're ignoring what you're reading and listening to words, or you have to find a way to ignore the words and focus on what you're reading, which is really hard to do. It's not good for reading comprehension, okay? Sorry, teacher stuff, yes. Does that make sense, though? And you're like, it works for me. It doesn't. Science says it doesn't. Don't lie. It doesn't work. But this is, it's like a metaphor. Like, we can't listen to a podcast and record our own podcast at the same time. i really like, I want to hear what God has to say. I want to listen to a story. I want to be a part of it. I want to absorb it. But I'm going to, like, have my finger on my microphone the whole time, talking over him, scheming my plans, putting my spin on things. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. We need to pause our efforts in building our own stories before we can hear and trust in God's story. Mary didn't have a problem with this. I don't think it was easy for her, but it didn't stop her. She wasn't very interested in building her own story. Because of this, she was able to openly hear And trust God's story in her life. So, here's some questions. We're going to close up here and move into communion together. I don't know why I closed my Bible. I'm still going to read from it. Some questions to ponder. We can't can't break down everything in in this time, nor should we, even if we could. We've got to talk about it through the week, we've got to mull things over and discuss. Some questions to ponder whose story are you focusing on trusting the most? Whose story are you focused on trusting? And we're really good at giving answers that sound nice. So part B, what does it really mean for you to trust in God's story and not your own? How are you caught up in the race for status and value in society? Where could you be missing out on an opportunity to participate in God's story because you're so caught up in that? And then, this is, a, this, is, this, is like a, this is a really Jesus-like thing here to think about. Who are the unusable people around you? Do you partner with them? Do you lift them up? Empower them? Know them? Be known by them? That's what God does. That's who we're made to be like, right? God's always worked through humanity. Especially the lowly, the humble, and the unusable. I think he does this to flip things upside down, to disrupt us, to give us pause, and to cause us to look towards him. Jesus came to reveal God. He explicitly says that a lot. That's what he came to do. Because he knew that this is how humanity is restored. By stopping, stop trusting in their own story and trusting in God's. That's how restoration happens. It's up to us to kind of break that down and what does that mean for you and me? Okay? This is, this, is, this is uncomfortable stuff. And if you don't want to talk about it this week, I get it, because it's uncomfortable. But we've got to get after it. If we're serious about restoring the world to God, if we're serious about seeking and saving the lost, this is what it is. Right. Right. Amen? Mary gets this on a deep level. And um, <clears throat> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if we talk about her enough. I don't. I don't. I kind of gloss over her. Right for whatever reason, but as we take communion, <clears throat> I'm going to read uh, Mary's song, and that's what we're going to meditate on during communion. Amen. Mary's song, in Luke one thirty-six. <clears throat> feel re- feel free to follow along with me, or 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 close your eyes and just listen. Mary's song about the one whom Jesus would spend his whole life pointing to. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done Great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm and he's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones and lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things and has sent the rich away empty. He's helped the serv- his servant Israel remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever. Just as he promised our ancestors. Let's pray and we'll take communion together. <clears throat> Our Father, thank you. Thank you for giving us the example of women like Elizabeth and Mary. I'm I'm shook, God. I am stirred to my core, and I'm convicted on just how much I want to trust in my own story. How much we want to build our narrative and, and, and just... Listen to yours as it fits in. Father, forgive us. Forgive me. Help us, God, as your people, your community here in Wichita, here in this place. Help us to hear your words, your calling for us in this. Help us to unplug our own story, to put down the pencil, put down the hammer, put down whatever it is that we think is more important, that we got to build our name for ourselves, God. Thank you for Jesus who's the antithesis of a human building their own story. Who's so focused on you, God, on revealing you, and revealing you because you're what's good for us. God, help us to be like him, always pointing to you, always thinking about you, always leading others to you, God. We pray this all in his holy name. Amen.